think that's the first time this season you've gone for a lost Jugs. What's your thoughts, Chadzi, on the game? Jugs, you couldn't be more wrong there. We're back on Sky. It's Sunday night, our favourite kickoff time, Sunday 7.30. Jack's going to be back. We're going to win. We're going to move into the top eight, above the champions, Liverpool. We're going to be flying. We're going to be in, on here on Sunday night, waxing lyrical about how far Villa have come and how good a job Dean Smith's doing and how good we are on the break and how effective we are against top eight teams. So I can't wait, mate. I really can't wait. I really think we're going to bounce back. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Villa Talks podcast, the lockdown lowdown. Back with the boys, Jugsy and Chadzi. We're going to be talking about another defeat. Alan Mackie and Ali. Yeah, someone, someone actually said that to me. Someone said, uh, I feel like yeah. whenever you say that, I'm going to I'm gonna go into that song. So maybe we should have that as our intro. Can you edit it in? in? After every intro, you edit the Alan Mack and Ali from the whole send in. Please. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that. All right, let's do that. Uh, but yeah, uh, another, oh God, another loss. Another annoying performance. Uh, really weird one, wasn't it, Chads? Um, it seemed like Spurs were there for the taking. We sort of seemed in control of the ball, but in a sort of uh, shade, a sort of bit like last season, really, where we've made individual mistakes and it's costing us games. Um, two really silly mistakes and ultimately cost us and two really notable chances the Spurs had. I can't think of any many more, really. Um, and... That was it, really. We didn't create much, but I played all right. What, what, what did you make of it all? Yeah, um, I was confident going into the game, um, and especially having having seen the, the lineup that Mourinho put out after a difficult week for Spurs. And um, I thought we started really brightly. And you know, we were saying in the chat that this game was definitely there for the taking. And I think if anyone was going to score. First, it was going to be us. You know, we, we we looked bright, we looked lively. You know, we didn't create loads of really clear cut chances, but we were creating little half chances. Seemed to be getting in behind the left back and uh, rode on it um, at centre back, and it looked like we were we were really up for it. And um, all of a sudden, one long ball from Regulon, um, and you know, a clear error from Martinez, who should just put his foot through it, and and the game changes completely. And we, we just couldn't seem to find our way back, which is an issue. And yeah, it, a disappointing night because, like I said, it, it did really feel like the game was there for the taking. You know, Cash made a big difference with, with the ball going forward. He offered us a, a, another attacking threat on that right-hand side and was, was really, really proving sort of ominous um, getting into the box and putting in some good deliveries. But I think once we conceded, um, we, we just lacked dynamism, any sort of um, creativity to, to get back in the game. And it was another error for, for this. Well, we'll come on to the second goal, I'm sure. But some put it down as an error. I'll put it down as a terrible refereeing decision, um, which I'm sure we can debate. But yeah, a, a, poor, a poor night again, really, overall. What did what did you make of the pen, Jugs? Do you think it was uh, a bit of play acting, clever play by Kane? Do you think Cash was in the wrong for going to ground? Or, or do you think there was, you know, Kane did the right thing for for his team by, you know, if the play goes to the ground, you, you trip over him, which is the way it is now. Or, or do you think, you know, Kane is known for his play acting, uh, he's known for his diving. Do you think he gets away with it compared to the likes of Salah and other players like that who are known for diving? What, yeah, you I think. Yeah, I thought it was a clever bit of play to be honest with with 
by Kane because he anticipated that Cash is going to go steaming in trying to block that cross and he manipulated the ball where he let the ball he go. He didn't and, touch the ball. He didn't yeah, touch I, the ball. Do you want to let me finish, Chad? No. Okay. No, but it's, it's modern football, isn't it? And Kane is probably guilty of doing these kind of sort of theatrics and but is it, manip- I mean, you say, you, you manipulating say clever, referees. Yeah, because... It, clever, clever play, but... Um, if other if Salah does it, does it, does it, does it get labelled as clever play or does it get labelled as diving? That's, that's sort of the Labelled as diving. Yeah, there's there's hypocrisy when it comes to Kane. I mean, he's not been jumping for headers and letting players, I mean, fall over, landing on their heads and necks and things like that and no one's really questioned it. So this is another part of his game. And yeah, to be honest, if we had a penalty like that, we would probably say, yeah, it's a clever bit of football. But it was, yeah, blatant really because he knew that Cash is going to come steaming in trying to block the cross and the natural position for Kane isn't to step across. So Kane's basically anticipated the challenge or the, the block coming in and he stepped into Cash rather than Cash stepping into Kane, if that makes sense. And when Mike Dean's had a look at it, it looks like a pen. I know it's super soft, but it's one of those where you've got a given and it's just naivety from Cash, really, because he's tried to block the cross. Maybe he should have maybe stayed on his feet or not gone across so much, maybe try to block the angle of the cross rather than getting too close to the ball. But it's all hindsight, end of the day, and, and it's another bit of clever play from Kane. And do you know what? Kane is ruthless, I think, and that's a part of his game. And yeah, I mean, we need to treat him the same way we treat the foreign players, for example, just because he's England captain, he gets a free pass for his blatant sort of diving and how he is as a player. Um, maybe that's what, you need as a, as a footballer in the modern football these days. I'm not sure, but yeah, I think there's question marks on him. Yeah, I think I'm not, I'm not criticising Kane for it. If he does that for England in the Euros, I'm, I'm more than happy, but it's just, just the, the decision-making. For me, the, they should be looking at that on VAR. The, that, trying to block the cross is the only thing Cash can do there. He's not gone flying into Harry Kane and he's put himself in a position where if Harry Kane does whip that ball across the front of the goal, he, his body's in the way. Whereas, Kane hasn't even played the ball, so I'm not sure how it can be determined that Cash has fouled Harry Kane. If anything, Kane has jumped in the way of a man that's sort of already already in motion. And Kane's not, I wouldn't say he's endangered Cash, but it, it can't happen. You can't give a foul for that. Um, Kane did it in the first half and got a free kick for it as well for something similar, I think, for a sliding tackle from McGinn, which... Yeah, he got the big, ball. Yeah, McGinn yeah, got the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, regardless, Chazzy, I mean, do you think, I mean, we were never scoring if if that game went on for 400 minutes, never mind 90 minutes. Do you, do you think that it was just a case of that? I mean, do you think it's, I know I know it's not a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty, uh, but I understand why it was given. But I think more importantly, it's how toothless we were going forward uh, without Jack again, which is the concern for me because, you know, they still scored that first goal was a mistake by Martinez, a rare mistake. Uh, by Martinez, but they were still one nil up, and I don't think we were going to equalise. I just I can't see where we were going to score. We didn't seem to have any, any attacking threat. We created hardly any chances. Target had probably the best chance, and he decided to play it back rather than go for goal. And then Barkley had a shot which was cleared, which looked like I was going in, but there was about three players in the in the way, so I'm not sure it was ever a, a really good chance. But I mean, what did you make of us going forward? Yeah, I thought. Um... Sanson offered offered a bit in that sort of 10 role. He, he found some good space on the left-hand side and he got in behind a few times, put a few good crosses um, from that left-hand channel. I think Trezeguet got on the end of one. One found its way to Traore um, and then Keenan as well. Once he came on, thought 
he had a sort of lively 10 to 15 minutes and it just sort of, for me, highlighted the fact that he needs to be given more time. It's really harsh to be judging this lad on 10, 15 minute cameos here and there. I think he needs to start getting 30, 45 minutes or even a couple of starts now. You know, if our season's going to peter away and we're not going to qualify for Europe, we're not going to go down. We may as well try things now. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I do agree. It didn't exactly look like we were going to get back in the game. But I think the penalty killed it at 1-0. We're probably more likely to come with a real onslaught in the in the last 5-10 minutes, get balls in the box and, and Keenan can create something, create a half chance from his from his physical presence. Um, but I think Barkley should probably do better. But yeah, you know, I, I take your point. It's not like um, it's not like there was a flurry of chances. But you know, it's, we're in a sticky patch, and we have been for a while now. So um, I think the international breaks come at a perfect time for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really want to dwell on the match too much, Jugsy, because we all know what happened. We all know what the problems are. And as ever, when we lose a game, I think this pod especially, we try and talk about the wider context of it all and what's going on with Villa, both the short term and long term. And then I think we've had so many comments and questions uh, in the last couple of days since that result. Uh, and it's almost weird, you know, when, when you're winning games, there's not much to talk about because everything's rosy. But when you're losing games, there's so much more to talk about and so many more opinions out there. Uh, opinions you agree with, opinions you disagree with, but I think I think probably best thing to do is just go straight to the comments and questions and and get your thoughts on them. Um, what I've done is I've basically there's about there's so many questions, about thirty odd questions and comments uh, that I probably won't have time to read all of them out. But what I've done is I've segmented them, so I've got questions around you know what us without Jack and our formation and and Smith's management decisions. Then we've got questions around what is our true level. We've got questions around next summer and our fans as well. Uh, so I've segmented into those sort of categories. So if I just reel off a few questions, Jugs and Chads, I'll, I'll be interested to get your thoughts on them because I think a lot of the questions are very similar. Um, so let, if we look at the first question from Elliot Holmes, regular listener, he says, in a strange way, I would rather Jack be out for another few games. Uh, this would almost force Smith to abandon the current setup that clearly only works when Jack plays. He would then have to work on a different alternative that suits the players we have minus Jack. Now, there's a few questions around that. Um, and a lot of people saying, you know, World Football Chat, Billy the Weir saying, are we devoid of attacking prowess without Jack? No one has stepped up. Is it Dean's tactical naivety or, inability, or is it players' inability to follow instructions? Uh, Jatinda saying similarly midfield not as dynamic or dominant as it used to be apart from Jack what else has changed has COVID taken a bigger toll or is it mentality Uh, Gary H saying got to try something different against Fulham and not just rely on Jack returning Jack in the tent role you know it obviously works with Watkins Torrey inside and Davis up top but he's talking about McGinn being knackered there's so many questions around that you know uh, around us without Jack and that's playing the 4-3-3 what, what have you made of, of of Smith's tactics with and without Jack? And also, do you think you know? Do you think we should be this bad without Jack? Would you would you expect a better performance or performance levels even without Jack in the team? Yeah, I think um, all the questions and comments raised are all valid for sure. And I think it comes down to two key things. I think um, form. It's probably the biggest thing for us. The players have been out of form since coming back from that COVID break, uh, which has obviously impacted us. Um, it took us a while to get back up to full fitness. I'm not sure if a couple of players are even at full full match fitness. Um, obviously, the Grealish injury uh, has impacted um, us playing at the same level that we were playing at. Um, and I think it's about tactics and team selection for me as well by Smith. I think 
he's probably had a bad run of games where he's made the wrong decisions about how we set up and how we go into games. So in terms of attitude and playing positively, I think he hasn't been able to impact the team or formation positively when making in-game changes. So I think it's a, a number of factors. And for me, I think a lot of it goes down to recruitment as well, where I just feel like our recruitment hasn't been with a long-term view and not suited to the Premier League. And it's the wingers for me where we just don't have enough quality without Jack. I mean, it's probably our weakest area. So if your wingers is your weakest area without your key player, then you change the formation to accommodate that. So that's when you go 4-4-2 and may, maybe play a diamond in midfield and get Watkins and Davis up front or use utilise Watkins, who's effective on the left as well, which Smith hasn't really done or seen. And whether he thinks that if there's a chance Watkins is going to finish that off more than Keenan Davis, that's understandable. But it's an option, Watkins off the left, because he has played there for Brentford and had quite a bit of success. So I think Smith's missed a trick with that. And I think the the wingers as a whole, when you've got Grealish on the left, Trezeguet's fine on the right because he has a, a role to play in terms of working defensively. He complements Jack because Jack can play high up the pitch. And we don't really attack from that right-hand side much anyway. So Trezeguet's role is slightly different. When you've got Torre on the pitch, he slows it down. He comes inside. It's a bit too similar to Jack. We've got no one apart from Algarzi that's going to take on the full-back and play at that Premier League tempo and level that we need. You look at Rafinha for Leeds. The reason why he's had such an impact is because he's got ability in terms of pace. Um, he can go either side. He can play right or left. He's adaptable. Where our wingers are not flexible enough for me and they don't have the quality and we've spent 26 million on Trezeguet and Traore and I think in my personal opinion I think Algarzi is the best out of the bunch and he's you know I mean the least value in terms of transfer fee I think the midfield has been a massive issue for Smith where McGinn's been out of form and Barkley or Ramsey haven't been able to step in to have an impact and Sanson has been an interesting signing for me um, I think he's definitely got a role long-term. I can see why we signed him. He's a good all-rounder. But when I look at recruitment, do we need a player like Sanson? Is he too similar to what we've got already? I mean, in terms of profile, he's similar to Louise in terms of his sort of physicality and being sort of that technical mobile player. But do we need someone that's going to be a bit more of a ball carrier to break through the lines? That's what I would have looked for for a midfielder. I think that's what we needed, a box-to-box, someone that's a bit more of a powerhouse, if that makes sense. So I think, again, it comes down to recruitment, whether that's down to Langer or Smith, I'm not, I'm not too sure. So, yeah, I think all, all the questions are, 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 or points raised are valid and it's just a number of factors. And it is, we, I think Chadzi mentioned at the start of the season when we have having uh, a, a good patch that this bad run was going to come. And it's about how we sort of build on from this. And yeah, it just gives us a true reflection of where we're at without Jack Grealish. And Jack Grealish is one of the best players in the world. So it's always going to have a massive impact. And we've, we've been set up to play with him in the team. Um, so again, it just gives Smith some thinking time for next season about what we need to do to improve. Because teams like Leicester, they've had missed key players throughout the season and still been able to maintain their performance levels. And we haven't. So it's sort of question marks, but I think our backsmiths to turn it around. Yeah, I mean, you know, you raised some interesting points there. I'll, I'll get Chazzy's views on it as well. And we've had so many questions around this, so I won't read all of them out, but they're very similar around formation, tactics, personnel, and, and with and without Jack. And Dom Lerner, 
uh, Dan Wright, Lou Pearson, uh, Barry, all ask similar questions. So thank you for your for your questions and comments. But Chazzy, interested to hear your views because you know Jugsy mentions Leicester there. Obviously, Leicester are an established Premier League team. I've been fighting for the top six, top four for a while now, and and I've been able to build a squad. And Jugsy mentions the lack of quality there. I mean, do you see the the balance between the two? I mean, uh, are you? In the camp where it says, well, you know, we're your second year into the Premier League, it's more going to be difficult to have a, an amazing squad. Or do you see Juggs's point where he says, actually, yes, you know, that that is true, but at the same time, there are players there that we could have, you know, we could have spent the money better. Uh, you know, he, he talks about Trez and Trora there as two examples. What, what, where, where do you sit in those sort of camps? Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, um, you know what I'm like. I'm a bit longer term and a bit more pragmatic, and I think. We can only really judge um, Villa, Dean Smith, the project, however you want to determine it, what we're judging, over a, a period of a season, uh, in my opinion, just because of all the variables that you see in a season around form, injuries, illness, and even you know in the year we've had fixture congestion and things like that. So for me, as long as we progress year on year, 38 games after 38 games, then the club... Uh, and Dean Smith and his team are doing the job. There's going to be patches of form where we're flying and we all think we're the best team in the world and we're getting the passports ready for your Europe. And there's going to be patches of form like we're in at the minute where it's very sticky. We look like we've run out of ideas and there's question marks around things like whether we can cope without Grealish, which are all, which are all valid. But for me, at the end of the season, if we come in the top half or top 12, say, then it's, it's massive progression from last season. And, I know there'll be people out there to scream at it saying, yeah, but from the position we were in, we should have done better. But yeah, you can't reasonably expect to finish higher than any of the teams that are higher higher than us in the league. So um, I think it's a longer term thing, which I keep coming back to. But I also yeah, take Jugsy's points around recruitment that we talk about a lot of that um, in the past has been a gamble, hasn't it? Uh, you know, Trezeguet, we, we we dip in and out about whether he's been a good signing or not. But, you know, he kept us up at the end of last season. But he hasn't got the quality now to kick on. Um, Al Ghazi, he, he's very much a mid-table player. Um, and I like him. Traore, is he going to be a top eight player? I'm not sure, but I think he's been quite impressive. And, you know, Jugsy's point around Sanson, was he the right player at, at, at this time? I think he is a bit samey, isn't he, from what we've seen in terms of what we've already got from McGinn and Louise and even Ramsey to an extent. I think what we're seeing from a sort of tactical flexibility point of view is that Smith seems to have written off Keenan Davis and Ross Barkley. I can't imagine they're going to feature for Aston Villa next season. So I don't think he's that interested in trying formations and trying lineups that include them anymore. You know, he might throw them on in the last 10, 15 minutes if things aren't going to plan. But it looks to me like he's starting to plan for next season. He's basically saying, my midfield, we need to find a balance. My wingers, I'm probably going to keep one of the three of you. You've got to fight it out between you to see who's going to be here next year. Keenan Ross, sorry, but thanks for coming. But I think also we we have been quite unlucky in the last five or six weeks that the Grealish injury has coincided with Matty Cash's injury. We've lost our biggest attacking threat on the left-hand side at the same time as losing our biggest attacking threat on the right-hand side. Because in that first half of the season, with Traore on the right and, and Cash overlapping, we were just as effective from the right as we were from the left. And we've sort of lost lost both at the same time, which has really hampered us. So, um, yeah, I take I take all the points, all the comments, and yeah, Jugsy's points as well. And uh, I think we've we've just got to, we've just got to stay really balanced with it and just see that 
this club is progressing and it is, if we're comparing ourselves to Leicester, you know, we're three or four years behind. So hopefully in uh, 2023, 2024, we'll be in that top five, top six and, and pushing on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because we haven't been good for a while, really, performance-wise. Um, and this was mentioned on the last pod where we did the, um, where AJ put out some stats and put that table together around our, not not in terms of our results, but more in terms of how we're playing, using the XG stats, etc. And whether you love them or, or loathe them, they're our indicator to, to use and, and see how good well and how well you played. And, and actually, our, our worst five rolling game average was when Jack was playing. Yeah, just after the COVID break. So obviously COVID has had an impact as well. So with or without Jack, you know, I think a lot of these questions are focused around that. I think, you know, we have, we've been poor for a while, with, even with Jack and, and obviously teams have nullified him a little bit, which has raised the question around, you know, whether he should play number 10 or not, whether he should play from the left, et cetera. But I, I think it's just an overall thing, isn't it? I think it's a case of maybe we have found a truer level. Obviously we're going to be worse without Jack, but also, you know, we have struggled a little bit post COVID as well. Maybe it's had an impact that we don't know about exactly in terms of players with long-term COVID or, you know, still trying to recover. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to it, but on that, on that question around our level, Jugsy, um, we've had, again, so many questions around this. So thanks to David Winter, uh, Biplab, JD, Matt C, Neil Bryan, Nick Carter, who've all asked around, is, you know, is this our true level? And if you look at the, uh, look at the game since the Crystal Palace game, which is, I think is the last game where we played really well for the full 90 minutes. In the 15 games that have followed, we've taken 16 points. Now, you can extend that further out as well. I think if you take away the first four games out, then it's only like 29 points in 24 games or something stupid like that. Do you think actually, this, you know, the first four games sort of masked over what our true level actually is? And 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 do you think fans have need to manage the expectation a little bit more or do you think or do you think actually like some fans have said we should have done better because we've got the players to do better yeah again it's a bit of all I think um, we've obviously invested quite heavily in, into the squad so we're expecting a, an uptake up, upturn in performances and, and going up the table which we have done um, but again I think as, as a fan base I'm not sure if we sort of rate our players above what they're actually at I mean, we talk about Jack, who's obviously world-class. He's fine. But we talk about Conter and Mings, I mean, being the best centre-back partnership in the in the country. Um, everyone obviously raving about McGinn and these types of players. But are they probably at that mid-table level rather than the, the top, sort of top eight level? I'm not sure. Are they that sort of international quality of player where can they be consistent throughout the season? I think the defence has been sort of the biggest positive from the season where we've been a solid back five and we've got something to build on. It's been the form of the midfielders and the attackers that have been the issue for us, for sure. Um, so I think when you look at our position, we're 10th and Leeds are two points behind us. And when you compare squads, we should have the superior squad. So you've got to look at the management and obviously Bielsa's had longer with Leeds and they've got a playing style that really works for them. So it does raise question marks on Smith. I mean, Leeds shouldn't be two points behind us. It's their first season in the Premier League. They've got half the team sort of championship level, if I would be honest. And they're overachieving due to their playing style and tactics, really. And regardless of what players they put into that team, they still perform at a decent level. So it's something that we need to learn from. Like, we have this 4-3-3 system. Is it the best system for us? I'm not sure. Do we change too much from having two eights or a number 10? I think we need to set 
set ourselves up with one one setup as a four four three three, and then have an alternative formation. I don't think we have two variants of four three three. I just don't think that works game by game. So I think that that's a factor as well. And I think in terms of our level, we are mid table, um, and um, I, I expected from the start that we had to be pushing for that top top eight position. So I think Smith and the players will be disappointing about how the season season is fizzling out. So they should have ambition, they should have aspirations. If they rate themselves as international quality and and that sort of top eight quality, then why shouldn't we be we sh- why shouldn't we be disappointed with how we how the season is going now? And um, yeah, I think. It's, it's a learning curve. I think we learned from last season, definitely, and we've been better for it. So hopefully we can learn from this season. And Smith, again, is a season and a half into the Premier League, as I said last time. So he's he's new to the league and he will get better. We've got to back him because he's shown that he, he's done he's done the job for us. I mean, he's kept us up. He's progressed us this season. So we sort of got to keep backing him. I'm not one of these fans that call him for him to go and saying he's out of his depth. Not for, not, not for me. I think he's the man for the job long term and it's nice to have a manager that we know we can commit to for a period because this is a five-year project. It's not going to happen overnight. So I think, as you guys have said, a long-term view is, is what's needed right now. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point there that he raises, Chad, around, around the fans and expectations and Dean Smith and you know, some fans calling him from the go. And it's not many fans, but there are some fans saying he's, you know, maybe this is, he can't take us to the next level. He's found his level. Same with the team. Maybe we need a change. I'm not sure we've got a patient enough fan base to make a change and, and give a man and give a new manager time to try and build something because it is going to take time. And, and, you know, Dean's, Dean is still building something. And if you look at it overall, in terms of season by season, obviously we've progressed from mid table championship to mid table Premier League, which is massive in two years. But, on the fans, uh, just to finish off, Chad's and, and uh, you know, we'll, I don't think we need to talk about too much more. Really, we talked, to, we've done it to death, really. But uh, a couple of questions raised by Gary Dolphin um, and, and Rob as well um, around. Uh, sorry, Tom as well. Sorry, um, around the fans' expectations. Uh, Gary says, "Our Villa fans, the biggest roadblock, roadblock to success. Never happy, always on at the team. Always appears to think the grass is greener with new tactics, new manager, new players. Are we the worst supporters?" And then Tom's asked a very similar question around, you know, um, he says, you know, hopefully we don't get involved in all the bedwetting that's going on um, and and sort of look at longer term and keep the faith with Smith and hopefully we'll sort it. He also asked around diamond formation, which we've covered already. But what do you, what do you make of the fans' reaction generally and, and social media as well? Yeah, I suppose it, it depends where you spend your time, really. Um, you know, if you spend your time trawling through Twitter after a bit of loss, then you probably will form a conclusion that Villa fans expect too much. They are bedwetters and um, there's there's a bit of a um, imbalance in terms of their expectations. But if you don't go on Twitter um, and you spend time having conversations with rational people that know the game, then you probably think, no, Villa have got a good bunch of fans that are willing to give um, a good man and a good manager the time to build the club. So, I've made this point in the past, and you know, if you are generally a bit more of a pragmatic, positive person, when Villa lose, you don't instantly go onto Twitter to see everyone else moaning about it and, and put your thoughts down and slag people off and um, cry your eyes out. You probably just turn your laptop off, turn your phone off, and go and have your dinner or something. So, 
you know, I, I don't form conclusions about the the Villa fan base based on the AVFC Twitter hashtag because I know for a while when we get back to Villa Park, fingers crossed in August, every single person in Villa Park will be fully behind the team and be willing to give everyone a good positive bit of support for, for the season ahead. Um, and I think all fan bases have people that expect too much and realistic expectations, people that want things now, now, now. It's modern society. People don't want to wait for success. People don't want to give people time. People just want their emotions to be better than they were and they want these overpaid footballers that should be doing better to make them happy. Um, and they want it absolutely right away. Um, so, you know, it, every single club has people like that. So I wouldn't criticise Villa fans on the whole. It's just society, mate. It's just the world we're living in, especially when there's nothing else to do at the minute. You can't even leave your house. Yeah. People um, take out their emotions probably yeah, to, it's, to a it's larger a, extent. It's understandable, isn't it? And I, I'm one of these people that I will just switch off after the game, obviously unless we're recording a pod or something, which is sometimes therapeutic. Um you know, I try and avoid Twitter, to be honest, because I, and I get it. I mean, I'm not one of these people who say, oh, you know, don't don't wet the bed, don't go crazy. You know, I understand it. Emotions ride high when it's football and it's important to a lot of people. So, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to decry anyone who's upset about and frustrated about Villa or frustrated about results. I get it. But I think, no, I, I, when I when the game finished, I put on Justice League and watched that instead and completely forgot about the game. And uh, good good film, by the way, the, the new edited version, a new director's cut, by the way, anyone that watch it, anyone listening. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I switched off and that's the way I do it. But obviously, if people deal with it differently, some people need to just let out their anger and frustration. But I mean, just, do you understand the frustration of the fan base given what's happened in the last eight or nine games. Do you understand? I mean, you know, there's these people are saying, you know, forget about context, forget about the wider, it's not good enough. It's, it's, I mean, do you understand where they're coming from in terms of, you know, we should be doing better than we have done in the last eight or so games? Yeah, of course. I'm massively frustrated. I don't sit there enjoying watching Villa struggle to break teams down and struggle to create chances. I'm as frustrated as anyone. Um, but, the, the people that are probably more frustrated than any of us on this or even listening are the players wearing the shirt and the manager and the coaches. So turning that frustration into abuse or criticism of sort of the longer term or or individuals and, and things like that just just seems like a waste of time to me because these for me this squad of this squad of players and the manager are worth backing. Um, and it's, it is possible to be frustrated and, and not sort of level abuse at individuals and call for people to be sacked and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I, I do understand it. Of course, it's, it's massively frustrating. And especially when we'd sort of got our hopes up that this might be a really special season and we could even potentially qualify for Europe. It seems to be petering out. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I'll get it. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? It's uh, You can understand the frustrations of fans uh, looking at the short term. You know, football's so important to them. Um, and it, it makes such a massive impact, as you said, Chazzy, on, on people's lives, especially in this current environment that, you know, I understand why, why people do take their frustrations out on Twitter and, and maybe that's the way they deal with it. I, I deal with it differently. Others deal with it differently. It's just one of those things. I don't think you should decry anyone who, who is frustrated and angry about about Villa, you know. Yeah, just to be clear on, on my opinion on that, I think going, like, Twitter is basically the pub, isn't it, now? Um, so going on there and speaking to other Villa fans um, about the game, 
you know, you go on on online after the game and say that was shit. You know, that's that's fine. You're walking into the pub, you'd say that was shit. But it's just when you're mentioning players and tagging in players, like these are young lads, and I think if we all want Villa to do better, nobody benefits from demoralising these players by letting letting them know that you think they're shit. That's all I. That's the only frustration I get when when the players are involved or tagged, and you know. They all are on social media. They all read what people are saying about them after the game. And, it, you know, when I'm running out onto the pitch, it's a great feeling to know that everyone's got my back and people are supporting you rather than eagerly awaiting your next next mistake because they think think you're a waste of space. That's all, really. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's just natural, isn't it? Surely it's logical, but you know, sometimes people don't think logically, do they? Um, you know, no, no player's going to... I don't think you in players or tagging players and criticising them is going to make them play better. Very rarely does that ever happen. At the same time, I don't think it's a lot of people doing that. I think it's a minority of fans who do that anyway. But I think, you know, I think people are frustrated and rightly so with Villa at the moment. You know, it's not a Jack thing as well. I think it's been going on longer than longer than Jack's been out as well. So I think it's more of a concern that actually what is our true level? And, and it happens all the time, doesn't it, with fans' expectations where you have a great start to the season and you're pushing for that top six top eight position and then suddenly maybe a bit of realization sits in and and actually you are where you are you know you're just maybe a mid-table side or maybe lower mid-table side uh, and and that's what the level is at and and i think fans get disappointed by that and it's, it's to be expected and you know we could sit here talking about how we can change things what smith needs to do but it's, it's on them really there's not much we can do and uh a lot of it will come down to buying better players you know our squad is is not great we all know that um you know, there's there's plenty of players that need to be improved on, but there's there's a core nucleus of players there that I think can take us forward. Um, a lot of it will depend on Jack, and I think also people are frustrated because they're worried that Jack might leave. You know, if we if we do if our season does fizzle out, how does Jack feel about Villa, and how does he feel about staying here and ambitions? I suppose a lot of that would depend on the owners and who we sign in the summer, but also someone coming in and paying the money as well, because I don't think we actually need to sell. So, you know, someone needs to come up and step up and pay that hundred million pounds plus for for him and. I'm not sure there's a there's there's a team out there that's going to do that for for Jack yet. So I guess we'll see. But you know, thanks Chaz as ever and Jugzy for for your wise words, um, different opinions as always. But interesting to hear them. And thanks for all your comments and questions, guys, and for those listening. Um, so many of them. There's so many I didn't read out. I just didn't have the time. But I think a lot of them are are very similar and centered around short term, long term fans, etc. So it's one of those things. People will be a running theme for the rest of the season. Uh, We'll see how we are after the international break. The boys will be back after the international break for the game against Fulham. Um, and hopefully we can get back to the winning ways. Uh, in the meantime, we'll probably have a late night ramble at some point this week or next week. Um, and uh, maybe another preview for the Fulham game as well. So look out for that. But thanks for listening. Thanks to the boys. Usual spiel about following us and, and uh, subscribing to our pod. Um, follow us on Twitter as well, at Villa Podcast or One Word. We basically do everything through there. So any news and views you want to give then uh, put it on there but thanks again thanks for listening and uh, up the villa i love it mainu bahut changa lagda <laughs>